Today on Never Was a Gamer, how much would you say you love your daughter? Welcome to Never Was a Gamer, the show where a late-blooming gamer makes up for lost time playing everyone else's formative games. I'm Michelle, and with me as always is my favorite two-headed Libra, Dimitri. (laughs) Hey, you made it back from hell. I did, and I did not like the horoscope puzzles they have there. (laughs) (laughs) Imagine if that's what hell was, just doing these weird abstract puzzles. I mean, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Michelle has finished Silent Hill. Her big takeaway was apparently the horoscope puzzle that we'll get into. No, that wasn't my big takeaway. <laughs> That's just one standout thing. But but you made it back. You made it back from your first horror game that you've played on your own. That I played very slowly. <laughs> yeah, that's how you got to play it. Tentatively. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's the expectation. You can't, I mean, you can rush through them, but uh, why would you? I feel like this game, if you're not a scaredy cat and you just run through it, is like 40 minutes long. <laughs> For me, like... 12 hours. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, but before we get into Silent Hill, I need to have some vindication here. Okay. I mean, I don't really know if it's vindication because you didn't really criticize me, but remember last time when I was talking about how I was really scared of that Spider-Man game? Oh, yeah. You got like shocked by electricity on a wall or something? Sounds like you're judging me. Anyway, (laughs) I went to try to find this Spider-Man game and it was Maximum Carnage, but along the way, I just wanted to see if anybody else was scared of this game. Mm Mm-hmm. As far as I can tell, no, but, <laughs> but why are you bringing this up? But I did find this article on Kotaku from last year, from 2019, with the headline, when I was a kid, Spider-Man on Genesis was the scariest shit. And so it's another Spider-Man game, not my Spider-Man game, but this person was terrified by a Spider-Man game because of the lizard. And you feel vindicated by that. Yeah, because I'm not the only person that was scared of a Spider-Man game. And I bet this lizard didn't even shock you. That is a stretch, my dude. <laughs> From different parts of the screen. Okay. Okay. Well, okay, tough guy. Okay. 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 <laughs> okay. If you're so tough, let's talk about Silent Hill. Yeah, let's. Okay. Before we talk about it, uh, just give a, a quick maybe rundown of what you did in that game in case people aren't familiar with it because you, you do a lot. So you play as Harry Mason, who is just a regular guy. Like he's not ex-military. He's not like a super cop. He's just a dude. Yeah. And this is this is pretty important that yeah. he's just a regular guy. It plays into both the themes, but also the mechanics of the game. Yeah. Um, so his adoptive daughter, Cheryl, has gone missing in this really foggy, seemingly abandoned town, which is Silent Hill. Right. And, and as we set up last time, right, he goes there because his daughter kept asking him to go to this town, Silent Hill. Mm -hmm. And then she goes missing as soon as they get there. And apparently that's what you do is you just go wherever your daughter says to go. (laughs) Even Um, if it's a creepy town, a town with a creepy name. Yeah. Uh, So through most of the game, he is chasing visions of a little girl through different parts of the town, different buildings that are all sort of infested with these surreal monsters and environments. Uh, And he's uncovering a cultist plot to incarnate a demon. Um, yeah, and, twist. Yeah, and uh, you didn't didn't see that coming, did you? You thought it was going to be a government conspiracy. No, I got that prediction wrong. Um, so, and then uh, an important thing is Harry moves periodically between what he calls the real world and the other world. Yeah, hell. 
Yeah, it's literally a hellscape just overlaid basically over the same areas. You're mostly spending your time navigating these maze-like areas, solving these puzzles, and either avoiding or sometimes killing monsters with like pretty uh, crude weapons, I would say. (laughs) What do you mean? Well, they're like a pipe or... Right, you love the a pipe. pistol. Like you don't. It's it's not like a big uh, combat game where there are eight different shotguns you can choose from. It's like you get the pipe, you swing with the pipe, you get the pistol, you get the shotgun. Like, and he's never great with any of them, really, because he's just a dude. Right. Yeah. And so the game itself is moving between exploration sequences, combat sequences, and puzzle solving sequences. Yeah. And then along the way, you're meeting this, uh, you know, group of weirdos. You meet. Uh, Sybil, mm-hmm. who's a cop, yep. who's not great at being a cop. She's definitely not great at protecting you. Abandons you immediately. <laughs> you meet the priestess, Dahlia Gillespie. Spooky nun. Yep. Every time she's referenced, they say her full name, Dahlia yep. Gillespie. So mm-hmm. it's really important. You meet uh, Lisa Garland. Yep. Uh, a blonde nurse. And then you meet uh, Michelle's favorite character, Michael Kaufman. I didn't trust this guy. He's a doctor, and from the very beginning i was like he's in on this somehow you were whatever's right. going on here and i was correct uh spoilers <laughs> well yeah for the whole episode yeah and so we'll we'll get into some of the intricacies of the plot a bit later but let's start with your first impressions because again this was your first game in this genre yeah and i think that's why i'm am finding it a little bit harder to evaluate than i have with some of the other games where mm-hmm. At least I have more of a starting framework for like I have things that I like or don't like in of elements that the games we've been playing are drawing on. This one I feel much more in the wind. And particularly I think because it's horror, it's like, well, did I enjoy it? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like, right. Right. Last episode we talked about how you really struggle with what that even means. Yeah. Because you're not someone who does enjoy this genre. Yeah, I think it was effective at producing (laughs) fear and tension and atmosphere. Um, There's a lot of really striking visual stuff that I I really responded to and appreciated. But it's hard for me to really just deliver a clear opinion or like a clear line of argument about what I think about Mm. this game, Uh, partially because of genre and partially just who knows why. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so maybe if we start with your opening moments and talk about your first few moments with this game, what you're feeling, what you were seeing, because uh, I think we both agree this this game has a really, really strong opening. It's so cool. Um, so also important to say, we played the opening at night in the dark. Yes. We, I didn't play all the game like that, but we did play the opening that way. It was almost too much. So the the opening cinematic, I really love. It's got this um, this music track in it that's got sort of this rock guitar and mandolin. It reminded me of Portishead, which is a band that I loved in the, I guess, early 2000s. Right. And as we found out, really did influence Akira Yamaoka because you saw Portishead posters. Yeah, I was so validated. Yeah. I called it right. I was like, oh, this sounds like Sour Times. Um, so you're you're going into this town. You get in a car crash. Um, you wake up and Cheryl's gone. So almost immediately, the game starts corralling you into like narrower and narrower alleyways. It gets dark really suddenly. You pass like a spooky knocked over a wheelchair with like yeah, one creaky weird. I was like, oh boy, <laughs> this was almost yeah, you, my eject. You pause. Spot. I, you I hesitated. Stop at that moment. Yeah. And and so you you're getting into this like um, metallic this like slaughterhouse area with like a strung up body, and then you get killed by what I can only describe as meat children with knives. 
And then you wake up after that in a deserted cafe where you meet Sybil and she gives you a gun and then leaves. And then a pterodactyl breaks through the window. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And that was kind of your reaction. Yeah, I I laughed. Uh, And I mean, partially it was the laugh of like my tension level was so high that, you know, when something just surprises you and you're really tightly wound. Right. This is the game's first and one of its only real jump scares. Yeah, which I appreciate. Which is almost playing on that Resident Evil breaking through the window, right? The dogs breaking through the window. Right. But in here, one up the dogs. It's a pterodactyl. <laughs> I'm glad they got it out of the way. <laughs> right up top, it was a pterodactyl, which is a huge improvement on a dog. <laughs> I, I would all agree. I, to be honest, I was a bit disappointed with your reaction to the pterodactyl. That I laughed at it immediately? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought you'd be more impressed by the pterodactyl spooked something. I guess they're they're technically I mean, called air screamers, but you know, like if you look at it, you're like, oh yeah, that's that's a turn. Yeah, you thought they were so stupid, but but at least later we realized that they were justified by the lore of the mm-hmm. game, that they're actually projections from another character named Alessa, and that they are related to things that she was interested in or read as a kid. Like for example, yeah. these are tied directly to something she read in one of her favorite books, Arthur Conan Doyle's The Lost World. So there is there is justification for why there are these flying wing pterodactyl demons in this world. Yeah, like eight hours later, you'll get that. But <laughs> it, at the start, what this game tells me is that you're going to be very scared and also occasionally there's going to be something quite dumb <laughs> that happens. But so so this is really powerful. Um, the whole opening scene, regardless of my the fact that I laughed and... The thing with the meat children, which is an interesting thing about that little moment is um, it actually freezes you. So you can't even try to fight them off. Like you can't even like try to punch them or anything. It actually disables you from doing any of that. You yeah, just this, die. Yeah. There's no combat in this opening sequence. It's yeah. very much a playable cut scene. Almost. Yeah. 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 I kind of wish they let me like struggle. Hmm. Uh, I think that would have been probably a good thing instead of it just being out of my hands. But you know, this is this is a very strong, very atmospheric start. And boy, did I linger in that cafe, putting off going back out into the fog, mm-hmm. like for a long time, and then very slowly progressing through the fog once once you get out there. And that's also where that's where you get sort of your essentials of the game, uh, including this this radio that becomes sort of your monster detection mm-hmm. device. It will start playing this static when a monster is coming near, and so that's kind of. You have limited sight lines in a lot of this game between the fog and sort of cramped internal spaces. And so that becomes a large part of your way of knowing when there's a threat around. Yeah. And last time we talked about how the designers of this game really wanted to create a sense of a lingering fear and not emphasize jump scares. Mm -hmm. So I think giving that radio up front is really this is the contract with the player, right? That it's going to the game's going to let you know when enemies are approaching. Yeah. But they still got that one jump scare out of the way. Yeah, and also uh, it it impressively is still incredibly tense when you hear mm-hmm. the radio going off. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. <laughs> I have to say that sequence was definitely the most tense and scared I would be in my entire playthrough. Mm. I don't know if that's because I'm being exposed to all the game's favorite tricks for the first time. Uh, and maybe there's just inherently diminishing returns on that. It is the only part that I played really immersed in darkness. The rest of it pretty much was in daylight or at least like a brightly lit room. So, I mean, I, I want to be transparent about the way that probably affected the way it felt to be to be playing this game. But it did definitely get uh, less scary overall. Yeah. And I think there's something with the way that we played this that really calls into question whether there is a right way to play a horror game because mm. we did so much to try to minimize yeah. <laughs> the scariness. So after that first night, Right. Yeah. You played it in the daytime uh, just 
full disclosure, we played this on easy. Yeah. So there was a low risk of dying. You had ample ammo. There was really um, no need to engage with some of the mechanics. Some There are certain mechanics in the game that you didn't even know about because we were playing on easy. Yeah, which I sort of regret because they're really cool. I really like them as design choices, but I didn't actually have to. like. Um, so the monsters in this game can detect sound and light. So when you're going through dark space, especially small ones, you have a flashlight and you have your your radio that tells you where guys are. And to to be less detectable by them, you can turn both of them off. Um, but when you don't have your flashlight on, you can't look at your map, which is really crucial in this game. And so it forces you into this sort of either or uh, strategy building around like, okay, I'm going to turn this off try to get quickly to the other side of this hallway, get into that safe room, turn my light back on so I can look at my map and play on my next move. Um, and I just, because of the combat settings, didn't really have to do that. Yeah, you pretty much um, went right through. The other thing that we did, um, we did use a guide. that We used the GamePro guide from 1999, only a little bit, just to ensure that we got the the good plus ending. So I actually just want to clarify one thing also about how we used it, which is that you actually used it and only fed me very small bits of occasional information, just enough to make sure that I didn't miss one or two really key missable things that make the plot make sense. So it wasn't right. me seeing everywhere that I have to go. It was like, you would say, make sure you check in that house on your way past. Right. This is one of those games where it's very easy to miss content that is very important to understand <laughs> yeah. what's going on in the story. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the other thing about that GamePro guide, it got some things wrong. <laughs> Which uh-huh. is a thing you had to deal with, especially with guides in magazines. Hmm. Um, they often got things wrong. Sometimes they were built. They were writing the guide based on a uh, non-final build, hmm. or sometimes the person just made kind of mistakes due to human error. Not great. <laughs> a little annoying. A little, yeah. Um, and I guess it's not like a game fact where you can just go edit yeah. and correct it. So uh, I guess fair enough. Yeah. But by and large for you, because of how we played it, the combat was pretty trivial. Yeah. Did you, So did you ever feel vulnerable in the way that horror games try to make you feel? I, I guess the other way to phrase this question was, was it too easy to be scary throughout for you? No, because I don't give a shit about dying in games. Like, I don't give a shit about losing my life in games, but I do give a shit about walking through creepy spaces that look like Hell's Butcher Shop. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, okay. it, there's a whole suite of stuff that this game does that is not dependent on whether you, like, get killed by a meat mm-hmm. child. Um, and all of that stuff, I think, is strong and so you, clear. So you still felt some kind of lingering threat. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is a very tense game. This is a tense playthrough. I mean, I mean, you mentioned Gone Home last time, and I guess that goes back to how you felt playing that game, where I mm-hmm. think it was pretty clear when you were playing that there's no, there's not going to be an enemy jumping out at you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But right, it could still kind of create that sense of dread and still make you hesitant to move through the space. Yeah. Even without threat of enemy encounters. I was absolutely still scared in this game. So it still was a horror game experience for me. It was just one that I could like stand <laughs> like I, it would have been so hard for me to finish if I a forced myself to play in the dark or B was also in a situation where I was getting killed all the time. No, that, um, yeah, I think that's fair. So, I mean, this is like the way that it got done. <laughs> so I wanted to talk a bit more about some of the horror tropes in this game, uh, the mood and the tone of this game. But first, as promised, 
I want to show you some of the promo material and magazine covers from 1999. Awesome. As I mentioned last time, I really want you to go to this game completely cold. But now I'm curious if you think that these materials actually communicated the vibe or the tone of okay, the game. Cool. Uh, in hindsight, there was no reason to withhold these things from you. Basically, anytime this game was on the cover of a magazine, which wasn't that frequently, but mm -hmm. there were a few magazines that kind of gave it a cover story mm -hmm. or even inside, you'd always see those pterodactyls. <laughs> And I, and I really wanted you to be surprised. I thought you would care. I thought you would be like, whoa, those pterodactyls are creepy. I didn't want you to know that those were coming. And so that's that was the main you reason. You thought I would be creeped out by pterodactyls. The or, person who loves dinosaurs and birds. Or My two favorite so things. So if not creeped out, at least kind of pleasantly surprised. Okay. I mean, I, I what? I, I did not expect them to provoke laughter. <laughs> Had I known that, we would have just <laughs> talked about the covers last time. Um, but anyway, take a look at some of these covers. Okay. Because there's, there's another theme. Okay, so the first one is uh, take a look at the cover from the official U.S. PlayStation magazine. Mm -hmm. This is my favorite pterodactyl. Oh, my cover. God. It's like this huge demonic pterodactyl. This also is a full-on straight-up pterodactyl <laughs> with, like, demon eyes. I will just, tweet these out if you, if you want to see this. Okay, that's just attacking Harry, who also looks a little more action starry than I think he is in the game yeah, in this. This is, this is a theme that depictions, kind of artistic depiction of, of Harry Mason seem to miss the point that he's just supposed to be an everyman. Yeah, he's in like a leather jacket and he's like looking kind of cool in this, he's which a is bit, not the vibe. He's a bit Nathan Drake. Yeah, yeah, here. yeah. I'm on uh, an adventure. I'm ready for this. And that pterodactyl looks terrified. <laughs> he looks like he's just seen a demon pterodactyl. No, I can't unsee it. It looks like instead of swooping in, he's like backing away from Harry like oh shit that yeah. guy's got a gun <laughs> this kind of makes Harry look like a badass yeah that's not how the game is uh, but then similarly look at the PSM cover so the PlayStation magazine cover look oh at my that god yeah so this look at titty Sybil <laughs> yes yeah, so this is Harry and Sybil this was this is a hot cop version of Sybil you also see the pterodactyl on their back pterodactyl there in the background and I this do. was done by an artist a DC Comics artist that makes sense but again, this cover, and oh, oh and, and to kind of go back to a theme we talked about last time, just look at that headline, the next Resident Evil? Question mark. Um, also in this one, Harry is like straight up flexing his bicep at the camera and he's jacked. He's like, bursting out of his leather jacket. Yeah, yeah. Like there's also a picture of Solid Snake in the corner of this magazine cover and Harry <laughs> looks so much more jacked <laughs> yeah. than Solid Snake. <laughs> but it's, it, it's like people could not conceptualize these characters outside of the Resident Evil paradigm uh, because these characters look like they're straight out of Resident Evil in this, right, in this right, picture. Right. They do not look like just ordinary people this is and there's like uh some spooky like dark monsters with glowing faces and like just stuff that is not just that isn't like this is not the game i played what i'm looking at right now yes yeah, so this is one thing i really found interesting about these covers that they don't quite communicate the tone that the game itself is going for mm -hmm. they, they, they do take some artistic license and, and turn it and seem to think about it more in terms of an action genre the other thing i included was the official advertisement kind of the the print ad that that went with this game which is this padded room motif kind of this asylum yeah motif. i don't know what do you find this effective so it's it has kind of a this creepy font that says your room is waiting yeah and i guess meaning like you the play so i don't remember this being a thing in the game i oh, don't definitely not no, yeah no. um no this is dumb this is just like vague you know early 2000s late 90s 
it'll make you crit like this is like what like a corn video would be shot in this oh, room yeah with that font do you know what i mean yes. like that's the aesthetic yeah. that yeah. you should be picturing and so to me this is just like oh they want to make 13 year olds look like this is sick <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah uh, a few things here because there is some there is some copy on here and some of the, some of the things that did stand out to me based on what we were talking about last time one right up front it talks about how you're in a world that's rendered in real time 3d and then it also says very clearly that you use your brain and use your brawn and find your lost daughter which harry has none of the brawn <laughs> the brawn but fine well he's good with a pipe and a he like yeah. a two by four with a nail through it i guess yeah the wood board yeah this is a weird choice for advertising but I think, again, what this speaks to is that it, it's pretty difficult to communicate a kind of slower paced, lingering tear. It's so much easier to communicate kind of action horror games. Yeah, it does have a picture of one of the um, meat children biting Harry in the dick, which is a, a funny <laughs> choice of still. It's unfortunate that the height just lines up exactly so it looks like they just go forward oh. face first into you. But that that made it to the that made it into this ad. <laughs> uh, but as we talked about last time and, and and things that these ads and these covers don't quite communicate is that this game includes a lot of horror tropes that you actually specifically named as things that you like or that tend yeah. to work for you like this checked off so many things it checked off demons mm -hmm. it checked off um in your words weird spatial stuff yep it sure did uh it checked off like small towns with a dark Absolutely. underbelly. It checked off evil religious figures. Yes, although I have to say this helped clarify something for me about my taste in evil religious figures, <laughs> which is I think <laughs> I think they have to be male. Mm. Um, like I think it's tied up in patriarchy stuff for me. So like if like Dahlia is the main evil. Dahlia Gillespie, excuse oh, me. Dahlia Gillespie. Dahlia Gillespie um, is the main spooky religious figure in this. And I think if she was male, if she was like a priest instead of like the priestess of this thing, I think it would work a lot better for me. Hmm. Um, but yeah, something about it being a woman just it makes it not, it doesn't touch the same like sore spot inside okay. me. <laughs> okay, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, what about the spatial manipulation and the spatial incongruities? Oh, it's good. Yeah, you, oh, you enjoyed so that? Good. Okay. It's so good. It's so creepy. The first time there's a situation where you like are exploring a men's and women's bathroom and you come out and if you go back into it again, it's a completely different space and it's like got a guy in it now. Like it's oh, just, in the it's school. Yeah. In the school, which is like the first big indoor area mm. that you go to. And and you did have that great reaction as you're in that opening when you're walking through the town and the town is just changing yeah. before your eyes into this kind of industrial hellscape. Yeah. It's just it's just awful. <laughs> awful in the best <laughs> way. And then I mean the sort of uh pinnacle of this is that final section, which is in like nowhere it calls it, which is basically a composite of areas that you've seen before but there's no map and like doors lead to hallways from other spaces that shouldn't work with the angle the door was at mm -hmm. like it's a very non-euclidean like um composite space that really pushes your navigation ability and really like tests if you've been paying attention through the game and also just is so surreal and so frightening and feels so dangerous and so charged like this is such a powerful segment of the game, and I liked it so much as a design choice. Mm. 
Yeah, what what I'm really going to remember about this game isn't so much like the big tropes or the plot. It's going to be really about how it felt to be in Silent Hill. Um, and that's something so distinctive. It'll be about how it looked, how it sounded to a huge degree, um, and just what it was like to be running around and forced to go deeper and deeper into that space. Yeah, right. This is this is a horror game that's about building a sense of place. It's about mm-hmm, building mm-hmm. tension in that place. It's not about manufacturing um, scares with jump scares. It's really about right. letting you settle in. And I think this is something you actually said, was yeah. that it turned you into the engine of the fear. Yeah, it turned me into the fear the engine. The fear yeah. engine. I think I said this on episode one that I want, part of why I hate jump scares is I want things to let me sit in the tension mm-hmm. of being in my fear. And this game is just like, we filled a pool full of tension. You can stay in it as long as you want. Yeah, sit in it for 12 hours. <laughs> yeah, go enjoy. But like, I, I'm i into that. That works. Good. I'm glad you got to be a, a fear engine. Yeah, this is high quality <laughs> scares. High quality. Uh, so let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll try to figure out how we're going to assess this game. You've already mentioned that you're struggling with that a bit, mm-hmm. but I've got a plan. Okay, great. Because I could use some help. Plan that'll bring us back to 1999. Oh, God. Feeling like a freak on a leash. Okay, we're back. What we're going to do for the next segment is that we're going to go back to a spooky time when there wasn't really sophisticated games criticism (laughs) and when people didn't know how to assess a game as a whole. They broke it down into its basic component parts. (laughs) So we're going to use an old school game pro review structure and we're going to break this game down into graphics, Mm -hmm. sound, Mm -hmm. control and fun factor. I'm excited. This is real dumb. (laughs) But I'm thinking, I'm actually hoping that this is going to at least help you think about the different parts of the game. Yeah. yeah, And then hopefully by the time we get to that fun factor component, which is really about the overall experience of the game. That's the miscellaneous category. Yeah. You're kind of able to maybe assess the overall experience in a a more intricate way than, than you can right at this moment. Makes sense. So... Let's start with graphics, mm-hmm. because this is the question I asked you last time. This was one of my biggest concerns is, can you be scared by these 1999 PlayStation 1 graphics? I was so worried that you'd laugh uh, when you saw those kind of demonic gray children and you referred to them as meat children. That's where <laughs> I thought maybe I lost you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so the answer to can you be scared by 1999 graphics? In short, yes, but... Hmm. Um, I think the environments may actually have been overkill in contemporary graphics. Like, I think it would be too much. Like, there's a lot of gore. There's a lot mm. of bodies strung around. I don't know about that in, like, super high def. Um, and Though I, I also wonder if this abstraction that is kind of necessary in the PS1 style graphics actually let you fill that in in ways that would be much scarier than 
could be rendered actually if, if developers or designers they were trying to make it look more realistic. Well, yeah, I, I think that's really true. I think, you know, there's sort of there's some uh, baby or little kid ghosts. I think those <laughs> really benefit from being abstracted. Mm. Um, a lot of the nurses and doctors and characters, I think nothing was lost there. I think mm. those are all things that gave me enough of a cue of what I was looking at for me to be able to supply the rest of the imagery that wasn't able to be rendered. Um, but I think for that to work, I think the reason why that doesn't work for the meat children, who for me were the the one of the two weakest enemies in this entire game, is just that it didn't give me enough to to be able to articulate for myself what that was. Mm. Like the fact that I struggled, I struggled with calling them clay children, the meat golems, the meat <laughs> children. Like I I couldn't explain. And and the other enemy that I think fell into this trap is the like demon monkeys that are later on. I couldn't tell if they were supposed to be people or monkeys. There's like something ape-like about them, but it just, it's like you haven't, you haven't quite filled in enough. It just hasn't mm. hit that perfect sweet spot of suggestion. It just looks like some stuff. It's just, it's just matter. Um, they're just bags of skin, you know, but <laughs> like, aren't you scared of bags of skin? Sure. But I, it should have definitions. Like I should, <laughs> I should have a thing I can label that with. Um, yeah, so overall, what did you think about the about the enemy design or the and the boss design? And I, I guess the other question is, especially when you're given a relatively limited set of enemies. Mm -hmm. I mean, any twelve hour plus game is going to have you know a limited set of enemies. There's only a finite amount that you're going to encounter again and again. And I, I'm wondering if these enemies or bosses can actually ever be really scary. You know, once you start fighting them and defeating them. And then re-encountering them. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure. I can say, I, I don't think I really found any of the bosses in this scary. I think I probably like the design of the very first boss the best, which is this like lizard thing with like a four-way mouth that opens. Mm -hmm. um, I, I wasn't exactly scared of it because by the time you're like, well, I'm trying to shoot this with the shotgun, like I have a task to do. And so I'm not just frozen by by the fear. And it, it doesn't give you an experience before you start the fight of like seeing it ambiently in the environment. Mm, like it, mm -hmm. it doesn't give you any build. Right. You just are there. It's there. It's time to go start shooting it in the mouth. Or hitting it with your Or whopping it with your pipe. Um, uh, but yeah, this is something that I find in, in a lot of games with the enemies where... I'm this way too, where it's the environment that is the thing that actually really terrifies me. Yeah, walking through empty open space mm. in Silent Hill with the fog and the snow, way scarier than fighting that thing. Yeah, and in terms of characters and and monsters that you're fighting, it, it kind of it kind of goes back to like the failure of Cthulhu, mm -hmm. where you know in Cosmic Horror, the whole point of Cosmic Horror are there these things, these entities that are underneath you know, society under uh, that are hidden, that are recessed, and that if anybody realized that they were real, we'd go insane because we couldn't comprehend kind of right. the enormity of the horror. And then you, but we can see if they're representing it, we can <laughs> see Cthulhu. They're like, people make like cute keychains of Cthulhu. Yeah, and even when he's not, yeah, like sure, that's a, that's a scary beast. And sure, if I saw him in real life, maybe I'd, maybe I'd lose my mind. I don't know. Sure. Um, but, you know, there's something about being, being shown that thing mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that is, you know, this is this is a cliched point, but right, the thing that you see is always so much less scary than the thing you're imagining. Right. And I wonder if that's especially in PS One. <laughs> <laughs> and I wonder if that's always the case. Can you think of any examples of characters uh, that in games that could be continually and perpetually scary? So I think that 
Um, if there's something that seems very powerful, but that your job is continually just to avoid it. Right. Yeah. Like uh, one of the things that jumps to mind is um, Mr. X from, is it Resident Evil 3? Resident Evil 2. Resident Evil, Resident Evil 2. 3, though, also has Nemesis, which plays okay. similarly. Where, is, yeah. So maybe he's the one I'm thinking of where he just is this enormous, like, freak man is he wearing plods slowly forward is he wearing a fedora yeah he is that's mr x okay okay (laughs) so i'm thinking of mr x but he just he is this unstoppable he's not incredibly fast but he just he will kill you and like he just he's always around you are always navigating Mm -hmm. or dealing with or getting away with him he is just like a fact of life in that game um again (laughs) i have not played that i am too weak for that but I could imagine that being a sustained impact. But yeah, I think you're right. Like a thing that is hunting you that mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. might be able to slow down, but you can't actually, mm-hmm. you know, destroy. I th- yeah, I, I think that's that's kind of how you how you solve this problem. Or I wonder if like um, Alien Isolation, which I haven't played, but I know part of that is like being stuck in a space with the xenomorph and like mm-hmm. staying out of like avoiding it while it tracks you. It's it, some of this is like a semantic argument about what scary is. Also, like, <laughs> no. um, I there have been bosses I've fought in other games where like you finish the fight and like your hands are trembling and you just oh, feel right. so like jacked up on adrenaline. That right. You're... But right. The, but the, yeah, the adrenaline rush doesn't mean it's scary. That's yeah. kind of the adrenaline rush. And I think this uh, this is leading into a few games from now when you finally get to your FromSoft game. Oh, God. I think you're going to have that experience, though you might also be scared. Sure. <laughs> Great. <laughs> One thing in terms of the graphics, since it was mentioned in all the, all the previews, the reviews, and on the ad about the kind of real-time environments, you don't have the static camera angles. You actually have pretty intricate camera movement in this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you feel that that lent itself to creating the horror? Because I know last time, remember, we talked about how Resident Evil anyway really figured out how to use those static camera angles to its advantage to create tension and to create a sense of the unknown. Right. And here you can move the camera, though you didn't realize it until <laughs> I was not good with moving late. the camera, and especially I didn't fully grasp that you could like quick turn with it really hmm. fast to like basically be facing the exact opposite way. They, so they mentioned that in the manual. I'm sure they did. <laughs> I'm sure they did. I even know there was a manual for this. No, um, <laughs> so there there is still a clumsiness or a constraint around the camera that that borrows a little bit of that fixedness without actually just being stuck. And so it's a somewhat artificial limitation, but I think it I think it kind of worked. But also, I it does insist on certain camera angles at key points or in key spaces in this game to incredibly good effect there's some really cinematic oh, setups yeah. in this and and it does like to be clear it does set you up when you enter a new space it will pick usually a very dramatic camera mm-hmm. angle or a camera angle that obscures your vision yeah or, and so you can get around that but it, it does kind of begin you in a lot of spaces with those really stylized camera angles like resident evil does mm-hmm. well a lot of walking towards the screen mm-hmm. when you first enter buildings yeah but be, but like you said because the camera can move it, this game does some incredible things, things that I just think still stand out today in terms of like unsettling compositions and really stunning compositions and camera movement that I, I I don't think we see today. And we talked about this too with Metal Gear Solid and and Kojima's kind of use of, of camera movement. And I don't know if it was just because it was a PS1 game and it just seems so striking for the camera movement to happen with those graphics that it's mm-hmm. noticeable and maybe 
there are games that use it in similar ways now and I just don't notice because mm-hmm. it looks so much like a movie. But this game, there, there's this moment near the beginning when you're walking down an alleyway. This is in, the, in this opening segment that you talked about. Harry's facing the camera and, and you're kind of walking towards the camera. And as you do that, the camera kind of cranes up um, and around. So now you're looking kind of top down on mm-hmm. Harry. And then it it kind of cranes back down and swoops behind him. Mm-hmm. And it's just incredible. Yeah. Like it's so unsettling for that to be happening, but it's also kind of gorgeous. Yeah. That whole sequence is so impressive. I mean, one of the ones that stands out to me is uh, from close to the end. When you're coming, when you're descending the lighthouse, like you've gone up to the top of it and you're coming back down. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's a spiral staircase that runs just around the outside of this this lighthouse. And so you're going down, but it it's this top-down shot. And so you're just looking at Harry running around the staircase on the outside and staring straight down into what just looks like the abyss at the center of the staircase. Like mm-hmm. just this, it I don't know how to explain how much of an infinite void it looks like is in the middle, is where you're going. Um, and it's just so effective. It's so evocative of you, the the sort of descent thing that you have over and over again, going into hell and, and back out into the town of Silent Hill. Like it just, it's just absolute, it's a stunner. It's it's so well executed. It's so good. Yeah, this game does great things. So what is your graphics overall score from... Sacks of flesh to stunning camera angles. I want to say if I could separate out art direction from mm. this category, it would be different. But I have to give a... It's just graphics, is, That's which the, is sort yeah. of a composite category. Yes. Um, 3.5. Okay, fair. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. Um, okay. Next category is sound, which in this case will be sound design plus music. Hell yeah. This got me. <laughs> This, yeah. <laughs> I have never heard a more intense or scarier soundtrack in all of my time. <laughs> I was not prepared for this. And it lasted. The The impact of the scariness of the sound design in this outlasted the visuals by a mile. I don't know what I personally did to the person who wrote this score. Akira Yamaoka. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't make me do more of this. <laughs> it's so intense. Yeah, so what did it so what does this game sound like? I mean it sounds like a bunch of things. Yeah, yeah. So there is mostly a quiet darkness to being in the sort of Silent Hill open town. It's not an overworld, but whatever, where it's snowing and foggy. Um, but as soon as you get into the hellscape, it is like this industrial, clanging, harsh, like very mechanical. Um, sort of screeching. Just it's just nightmare fuel. It's just it's so hard to explain what it even sounds like. What if demons decided they wanted to form the Blue Man Group? Kind of, but not as rhythmic as that. There's more of a pulsing. Well, they're not w- good at their jobs. <laughs> they're just an amateur <laughs> demon Blue Man Group. Sure. It's just a hobby. It's not their full-time gig. Um, but yeah, and, uh, clanging and banging and just... Yeah. And and one of the things that I think is took me a while to figure out was um, like not diegetic was 
there's all these swells and intensifications in the music mm-hmm. that feel like the way music in games changes when you're like about to get into a big boss fight when you're headed mm-hmm. towards mm-hmm. the climax. Oh yeah, yeah. But it's not. You're yeah, just you're there. Just in a room. And so you're you're constantly in these waves of like the tension being pushed forward. Yeah. You know, sometimes there's things like gunshots in the music that like no They're- one's shooting at you, but mm-hmm. you can hear that. Yeah, no other reason other than to create tension. Mm-hmm. Same with, yeah, like same with the dynamics. Like it just gets so loud yeah. at certain points for no reason. Yeah. I mean, for a reason, but you're not, yeah, you're not moving towards a boss. Yeah. There's not even an imminent threat in front of you. Yeah, it's, it's just... broken down that relationship between mm-hmm. what what those cues signify in a way that is really disorienting. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, like you, that's like a you great re- way to put it. You yeah. rely on the radio. You don't trust the soundtrack. <laughs> right, yeah, don't trust the soundtrack. That's a great... <laughs> That's a great tip. Yeah, that's my advice. And I think like some of this stuff in a lesser game, I think would be kind of stupid and cheap, right? Like I don't, I don't, I wouldn't want any game designer to take away like, "Mm, yeah, we should just put the sound of bullets when like there's not really guns being fired. Like it works contextually in this specific usage mm-hmm. but I, I i don't know that i would like that in other contexts i mean there's one one of the most memorable uh single rooms in the game is in in that nowhere section when you're on sort of the other side that or the hell side as we've been calling it there's a room that has just a bird cage in it and the bird cage is empty but you can hear wings flapping and it stressed me all the way out <laughs> i was so freaked out like I sort of was assuming that maybe like in the other, when you go back to that room in the other world, Mm, mm -hmm. maybe there is a bird there or something like that, but there's not, there's just the sound of birds in an empty bird cage. Why? And like, again, could be a cheap trick and other could put, I don't know. It it just, for some reason, it all comes together so well in this. It's so powerful and so effective. And then the other contrast, of course, is the use of the more melodic music Oh. The rock guitar, um, really beautiful melodies, kind of going back to the opening theme. Mm-hmm. There's this really beautiful song when Lisa's transforming. Oh my near the god, end. that scene! Yeah. So, what are your thoughts on the use of the rock guitar throughout? And I freaking love it. It's such a good counterpoint. To, like going from the the other world's like industrial grinding hellish soundscape and it resolving into you stumbling into her, this room where in that scene like Lisa is in there and she's in the middle of this heartbreaking situation where she's realized that she is one of these like monster nurses she just hasn't realized it yet and so she hasn't fully transformed yet but she's going to it's inevitable and the all that chaos of noise resolving into this really tender really sad but still kind of like empty and spooky haunting um, melody is just so impactful mm-hmm. because uh, uh, this game will go for long stretches without really having a clear story beat. Um, but when those story beats arrive, it wants you to damn well know, like it wants mm-hmm. you to be on board for the emotional tenor of that event. And again, in other games, this sound, the sound of this clean guitar, rock guitar could read as really cheesy. Yeah. And in here it doesn't. It reads as completely earnest and completely kind of like emotionally real totally correct for the moment yeah but i think that's because there's sort of a heightened um a heightened emotional reality Mm, for mm -hmm. these characters anyway like they don't talk or act like real people right it's melodrama yeah this is the music of melodrama this is like this is like almost a twin peaksy vibe right Mm, which mm -hmm. i think i i might have 
You mentioned that when you first heard the song. Yeah. yeah, The the opening song when you watched the uh, the E3 trailer. Right. Um, And I think that's still kind of the right frame to think about all of this. And there's a lot of like monologue, you know, it's 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 all more than real. Um, And so I think that's also why this music kind of works. It's so good. So what's your sound score out of five? Five out of five. Couldn't be better. Good. That's uh, in game bro terms. That's a red background, spiky hair. What? That's great. Red background, spiky hair. Yeah, that's the like the icon for five out of five. Was like this. You'll okay, see when whatever. you look at Game Pro. People have seen Game Pro. No. Mine does. My five out of five does not look like that. My five out red of five. Red background, spiky hair. Five out of five. You know <laughs> okay. when you see the five out of five and you see that red background, that spiky hair. You know that's a good game. Sound design in this could not be improved upon. <laughs> I don't know what you would do to make it better. You couldn't. Okay, well let's take another quick break uh, so I can play some more music. Hell yeah! And then we'll come back and talk about controls and the fun factor. Awesome. back to talk about our next category which is controls in this context let's reframe that as just gameplay in general okay yeah that makes sense anything that's happening kind of mechanically let's talk about tank controls yeah let's start with the tank controls (laughs) okay so actually i'm surprised how much i got used to them okay they started to make sense with me and they started to really gel with me by the end i actually didn't hate it that's good yeah i um did they make you feel like an everyman right did the and we talked about this last time. Was there some kind of intentionality behind the tank controls where their clumsiness really tied into the thematics of the game? Or is that just mental gymnastics? I mean, I don't buy the intentionality really whatsoever. <laughs> but also, I don't care about that. Like, mm. it's, um, I mean, if they were trying to make that be part of me feeling like an everyman, it didn't work because I ended up feeling kind of fine about it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, I think... A much bigger impact is the fact that, like, Harry sucks with his gun and his mm, weapons. Mm-hmm. Like, you miss a lot of shots in this game. Mm-hmm. Um, and right, that the is point stressful. Where, <laughs> right, right. To the point where you were using the pipe more because you're yeah. much more confident with a melee weapon than with a gun, which which checks out if yeah. you're just a guy who's never picked up a gun before. Yeah, you could swing a pipe at some stuff, mm-hmm. especially these big creatures. Um, so that that stuff I actually liked. Yeah, and they did a lot more than just the tank controls to make him seem like an everyman. Like you got tired when you're running as well. Yeah, I think that's really clever. And and managing your stamina. That you also don't have like a stamina meter. You just have right. to get a feel for mm-hmm. how long Harry can go, which yeah. is great. That's good. Let me like learn the player the character's limits like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and to to their credit, right? Again, 1999. It's 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 really hard to kind of create that kind of character where. You know, you're controlling him. You still feel like you're in control of the character, but nonetheless feel a little bit disempowered because of the character. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like to find the line between like Chris Redfield and Octodad is, <laughs> is actually pretty hard. <laughs> yeah, I like that framing. I mean, I won't pretend I didn't get frustrated with how often he misses because I definitely did. But I don't, you know, I I don't think that's 
is a bad design choice for the game to have made. We've already talked a bit about some of these mechanics that you didn't really engage with, but you appreciate, like mm-hmm. the flashlight. Yeah, that's so clever. And and it's how it interacts with the map. We talked about the radio. Yeah, which I love because it's different than having like a radar or something, right? Like it doesn't mm. tell you where the thing is that's near you. Right. This is not Solid Snake's right. system. Right. right. It's literally just it gives you noise when something is around and you have to figure out where that is. So that I think is so inspired. Um, Also, I never want to hear static again for the rest of my entire life. Yeah. One thing that really impressed me about this game is how they decided to dole out information like this to the player. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. so, yeah, the radio is genius. And also we got to talk about this map. Good map. This is one of the best maps I think I've ever seen in a game. In terms of you think like giving you the right amount of information without too much. Yeah, right. This game does not rely on waypoints because I think if it did, if it had these, a waypoint system would just absolutely kill the tension of the game. Mm -hmm. But it was still so considerate with the information it gave you, how it annotated the maps. You didn't have to remember, you know, did I try to open this door and it was locked? Yeah. It just does that all nice and automatically for you. Yep. It's the perfect balance it's like if you find a weird thing where there's like oh there's a music box in this room where i have to put stuff it'll like make a little mark about that Mm -hmm. on your map so you still have to kind of remember what that was all about and you still have to do some puzzle solving but you don't have to be like okay room 515 was this thing you can really imagine like if you were harry that that's those are totally those are the notes that you would be making on the map yeah exactly it's so good and and one of the important functions here is that Uh, The game pauses when you bring up the map. And so one thing I think is probably worth mentioning that I think is like not as great is that I definitely navigated exclusively by map through Hmm. many portions of this game, including like pausing with the map up, being like, okay, I'm going to run out this door. I'm going to go to the right. And then it's going to be the third door on the left. And then just like closing the map, executing that, running to the next room past all the all the guys and like popping mm. the map back open again so I can breathe and relax. You know, maybe that's just me using that as too much of a of a safety blanket. Mm. But um, part of me wishes there was still some more vulnerability wrapped up in that. But uh, it's still, the map itself is so strong that, and that this is also part of why nowhere works so well for mm-hmm. me because there's no map for nowhere. Mm-hmm. You, so you're used to relying on that both as a safety thing mm-hmm. and also for your navigation. It's like, no, like you need to understand how these spaces work. Yeah. And let's talk about the spaces themselves because you we because we move between these more linear dungeon sections and the more open world Silent Hill sections. Mm-hmm. I think one thing that I've always been thinking about is can an open world be scary? If if you're given freedom to move around and gather your own vantage points on situations where it's not really funneling funneling you and directing your focus and where you're going, would that take away from the the scariness of of the game? I'm here to tell you, yes, you just have to have fog. <laughs> yeah, that's that, yeah, solved. It 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 was solved. <laughs> Yeah, because you still have all the immensity of the open mm-hmm. world and the, the things could be anywhere. It makes the immensity. But you have short sight lines. Oh, it, yeah. It takes away any benefits of the openness yeah. and just makes that part terrifying. Yeah. I I never felt more vulnerable in this game than when I was just like walking around outside. Um, so, yeah, that, that starts really powerful. It, it's almost like being underwater. Like mm-hmm. there could be things coming at you from any angle and and it's it's unsettling in a similar way and the thing about this open world too that i noticed as you're playing is that this game is so linear and it's always funneling you 
it seems like the point of the openness of the world is for you to just continually realize how constrained you actually are, that in mm-hmm. fact you're not at all open, mm-hmm. that you'll, you think you'll be moving through and all of a sudden right, the roads will be out or an alley yep. will be blocked and, and really it's inevitable that you go nope, through we're going to the this hospital. one door. Yeah. And, and that's actually terrifying. Yeah, it is. But because of the openness, it still encourages you to explore probably much more so than it would if you were completely funneled. And this is where the game engages with its history in adventure games. Mm -hmm. Um, And there is kind of this relationship between the horror game and adventure games. How did you feel about this? Right, We talked about somebody said this was a combination of Resident Evil and Myst. Yeah, I, I mean, so it's fine. I it was profoundly weird to be doing little adventure gamey puzzles in the middle of like literal hell. Like right. you're in this like again devil's butcher shop and like your character is not is just like yeah, we'll go we'll go find the thing, we'll bring it back and figure out what this little nursery rhyme means that we have mm. to punch into this whatever whatever. Like that part is always a little bit weird. It's like now we pause from the demon stuff to like operate play a piano. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and a lot of the puzzles are very fetch questy. Like yeah, you kind of have yeah. to collect bits and pieces from around and go back and forth between spaces, and then which you is solve part of what I said I didn't like about some of the Resident Evil puzzles, mm. which is that they weren't really puzzles. It was just go find the thing right. that goes here, um, which is just you know a pathway. That's a fetch quest without a person attached to it. Yeah, and in a horror game, I think the purpose of those is to help control the pace a little bit to mm-hmm. encourage you because. It needs to incentivize you or force you to backtrack because why else would you go into some yeah. of these spaces again? Um, maybe it's not the most elegant way to do that by forcing <laughs> these these puzzles on you, but I think that's how they're supposed to be functioning. Yeah, no, that that makes sense. And there are, I will say, I think more in this game than in like a Resident Evil, there are ones that do require you to think your way through them to a degree. Right, they're actually puzzles yeah, here yeah, that, exactly. you, that you have to solve. And, yeah. and some of them are pretty difficult. Yeah, uh, and some of them are a little bit clever. And then there's the Zodiac one. This is the one you referenced right at the beginning. It is so stupid. It, this is just bad. It the, the key to the answer turns out to be how many limbs the things in each picture has. Like, it just, it's... I, I think you might just be a little salty because you didn't figure it out. And it's a really kind of basic... I mean, it's not basic. basic. It's, it's pretty difficult because it's so obvious. It's one of those things. Oh, it's obvious yeah. how many limbs they have. Why would why would you use the zodiac to listen? We don't have to get well, that, into all that's of what it. I mean. It makes you overthink it. It makes you think you need to know something about the zodiac. It makes you think that there's going to be some relationship between the zodiac up elements. And stuff. Yeah, right. You were kind of doing all this external research, being like, "Am I supposed to have all this extra information about how these signs work?" <laughs> it's like, no, just count like the number of like lines on this yeah, picture. It's... Is on a good day might be a brilliant puzzle. The day you were playing was a bad puzzle. I did not feel a lot of love for it. I mean, the other, like, can we talk about the monster in the fridge? This is, I think, a bad puzzle. Yeah. <laughs> the puzzle is like, try to solve it and you'll just get insta-killed. If you, yeah, <laughs> if you don't figure if you it do out. It, yeah. Yeah, this was, this was a bad puzzle. So basically there's like a monster trapped in a fridge. Which you don't know. Which you don't know. I mean, there, there are some hints if you picked up some context clues, but you don't know. And there, there's nothing else like this in the game. Basically, you have to figure out that you need to get a ring and you need to use this ring to connect a chain on this fridge so that the monster can't break out. Mm-hmm. The monster that you don't necessarily know is in the fridge. And if you don't do that and you try to kind of engage with the objects, um, you'll get one hit killed. Yeah. And that that's just kind of aggravating. 
I'm glad we had the guide for yeah. that and that GamePro is not wrong about that. And it helped us through that part because I knew it's that- It's also a long way away from your safe. Yeah. I And I knew that, yeah, if you got tricked by that- I'd be very mad. I'd be really mad. I might not have returned to the game. The game would be downgraded significantly <laughs> for me for that. Yeah. So I think that about covers all of the mechanical gameplay aspects of the game. But before asking you for a score, I guess we should talk about the story at least a little bit. And it doesn't really fit in in GamePro's scheme. Right. Like, I don't know where it would go. The story doesn't right. really go under fun factor. <laughs> definitely doesn't go under graphics or sound. Yeah. I mean, it also definitely doesn't go under controls, but if we're talking about gameplay in general, let's just stick it here. Okay. Yep. Sounds good. I mean, it is kind of a more bare bones story than I was really expecting. Yeah. It's told in broad strokes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Through implication, through tiny um, clues throughout. That many of which only make sense when you get the lore dump at the very end. Yeah. The (laughs) the lore dump at the end. You sort of figure out that most of what um, Harry's been seeing and experiencing is this projection from the mind of um, Alessa, who is Dahlia Gillespie's daughter, who is the vessel they were going to enforce this demon to be born into. But to stop that from happening, Alessa split off part of her soul, which you find out became Cheryl, who is your adoptive daughter that you're looking for. It's a whole thing. And so, um, you know, you've been misled by Dahlia. There's a whole bunch of stuff that comes together in the last, like, 10% 10% of the, of the game. Yeah. And there's mythical symbols. Yeah. There's a whole world of stuff in here. Yeah. And we're not going to get into that in too much detail. If you're interested, feel free to you know play the game or feel free to some check great it. Wikis yeah, out some there. great, really detailed wikis <laughs> that really get into the intricacies and, and explain how the lore connects to Silent Hill 3, which is kind of a direct continuation of this game. Hmm. Uh, but that's not really what we'll, we're going to talk about today, because I don't think we have the mental capacity to piece it all together. There's just a, you. We would need one of those big conspiracy boards yeah. with like all the pegs and like string to connect them. But yeah, so uh, we're in this this the other world and the sort of hellscape is like a a manifestation of this girl Alessa's uh, mind and her thoughts and her memories and all this kind of stuff. Uh, and that's kind of what you've been reckoning with. So that is like the psychological horror element predominantly in this game. And you mentioned that psychological horror appealed to you much more than other kinds of horror. Yeah. And this was a funny one. So this is one where I, I think I like the psychological horror of it much more in hindsight than I did in the moment. And I think that's because having the gloss of understanding about Alessa and all that stuff um, helps me connect a bunch of dots. Whereas at the time I was sort of navigating all the psychological horror dimensions through Harry and his search for his daughter, Mm. Cheryl, which utterly did not work on me as a plot device. (laughs) Oh, Lost child plots (laughs) do not work on me. Yeah, I think one of the first things you said is just once when you start, you're outside of your car and you you see kind of a specter of what you think is Cheryl ahead Mm -hmm. of you. And you were just like, I wouldn't go after her. No, I would. I know that makes me sound like a monster, but like, I I don't have kids. Um, it just like, I think my problem with this is that um, Cheryl didn't, Cheryl is never a character. Um, Cheryl, you only, you don't like interact with her. You don't have like a little scene together at the start where you see them being a happy, tender father-daughter pairing. You just find out, oh, Cheryl, Cheryl. Um, and that's that's too abstracted for me to be a hook. This mm. is like a kind of family plot that doesn't work for me. Like, 
you know, not every father-daughter relationship is great. What if she's like, for all I know, as I'm going through this, the end of this could be that like she is trying to escape you. And this whole time Mm. you were playing this man who's pursuing this little, you know, like, I don't know. Um, And like things have been awful enough in this game that that something like that seems within the realm of what a game like this would contemplate. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And I do think it's interesting that you, your expectation going in was that you would be kind of experiencing this world through Harry's mental state and experiencing kind of his psychological mm, breakdown yeah. when really you're experiencing it through Alessa's mental state. Yeah. And, you know, and all the characters who exist are all tied to her story. Mm-hmm. You find out why they're there again in this lore dump at the end, but why you get all these kind of the broad strokes of these kind of strange characters who are yeah. really just meant there to kind of serve a, a purpose through implication, through mm-hmm. abstraction. In, until right at the end, you find out, for example, right, that Lisa's the nurse who was kind of sedating her while they kind of yeah, did these this procedure, this procedure and, yeah. on her. And now is reckoning with her guilt. Yeah. 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 Um, so, again, all that stuff, when I look back on it with the knowledge I have now, I'm like, mm, yes, I like this. Um, but at even, you know, things like we talked about the pterodactyl like that. By the end, you get why those things are in the game. And it's because uh, Alessa was like reading about these sorts of animals and so then they appear like it Mm -hmm. it makes sense but you don't have that in the moment when you just are reacting to a pterodactyl (laughs) yeah i'm very curious if we go on to play silent hill 2 at some point because that game very much is psychological horror from the perspective of the protagonist and i wonder if you'd feel differently about that and and another game you might be interested in and i and this reminded me that i actually did play Another horror game when I was relatively young, just because the reviews made it sound so interesting. Hmm. And it's this game called Eternal Darkness Sanity's no, Requiem. No, no, which you've no. Apparently heard of? No, I've heard of this. I that name that game needs to calm down. <laughs> You're so put off just by the name. It's awful. It's awful. Is it the Sanity's Requiem part? It's both. You have got two names there, and you need to pick one. And if you want to have a a something something colon something something you need one of those two things has to be kind of normal (laughs) they can't both be at the level of eternal darkness colon sanity's requiem well i think you might be missing out this this is a game that does interesting things with the genre with psychology it sounds like a final fantasy villain it's like something with your psychology i don't like this (laughs) okay maybe we'll try it out one day maybe we won't we'll see we'll see but yeah just to conclude on the the point about Harry and Cheryl. Harry also is a completely blank slate, which makes sense again once you know where the game is going. But in the moment, I I sometimes found it frustrating. Like there would be small things I wished that I could do as Harry that the game just like didn't have programmed in. Like you can never, like after you meet a new monster and kill it, you can't like, he never bends down and examines like the meat children or something he's just killed. Like it's just the kind of thing that you would think that a person would, would be like Bend what was and that examine the meat children after you bludgeon them with a pipe yeah to be like what was that he never does the like what is this like let me look at it after i've put it down like there's there's there were a lot of times when i wanted to have some kind of gesture some kind of outside indicator of what is happening for him internally beyond just cheryl um and you just can't and so i i think that it it kind of works with the the sort of heightened opacity of the rest of the characters, which we've we've talked about a little bit. Um, but I think it means that 
this game looks a lot better looking backwards at it than it did looking forwards mm. when you're going through it for the first time. Okay, yeah, that I think that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh what's your what's your control score <laughs> we talked about all of these disparate <laughs> elements? Um my gameplay score would be a four. Okay, that's that's pretty good. Yeah. I mean it's yeah. it's like that an, map an, really boosted it. An era adjusted four. Okay. If yeah. that makes sense. <laughs> and now for the final element, the fun factor. Did I have fun? <laughs> I genuinely don't know. Again, this is a, this is a strange question. <laughs> yeah, it, it's to ask not the right word. I think a genre that is not your home, one of your home genres, yeah. and a genre that is meant to make you feel uneasy, and that's not about fun. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I guess the other way to take it is, how would you rate the overall experience? Basically, sure. in Game Pro, that's ultimately what this this rating came down to. Okay. Overall experience. Okay. Overall, I think this game achieved a large number of the goals that it had, I think, for me as a player in terms of the experience it wanted to give me. But I think it mostly achieved all of them in about the first two hours. Mm. <laughs> and then we did have a little bit of... So the story stuff, the the character story stuff got more interesting as we got deeper into it. But the actual moment-to-moment experience of... Uh, being in Silent Hill, being in the other world, like hell, um, and that sort of stuff. It, it. I found myself at some point not really scared of the meat children anymore, mm. you know? Or like, I can avoid the pterodactyls outside now. That's not really an obstacle. I think when you're talking about horror games, the big question is, does the game maintain its tension throughout? Right. And that's a question that every game faces, right? Can it maintain whatever it's trying to achieve throughout its longish playtime? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it seems that the stakes of this are even higher in a game that's meant to provoke sustained emotional response. Mm-hmm. And a lot of horror games, I think, struggle with this, right? How do you prevent your game from becoming too familiar, too mundane, so that the player just kind of... Adjust to it. Yeah, adjust to it, yeah. and by the end is just kind of unmoved by it, right? And it, if it felt like being in, um, like, when you jump in a cold lake, and it, like, stops your heart right <laughs> yeah, at the yeah. start. That was, like, um, going to hell for the first time in the opening. Mm-hmm. And then at some point, your body adjusts to the temperature of the lake, and, like, sure, it's cold. Like, you can still feel that it's a cold lake, but you're not, you know... You're not right. quaking anymore. Right. You might become numb to the, you know, the bloody industrial right, right. Uh, landscapes, to the sound of the radio, mm-hmm. to the sound of the siren that is terrifying the first few times, right. maybe not near You're the like, end. like, okay, we're going back to hell. Yep. Uh, okay. Yeah. Right. And like things like movies don't necessarily have to deal with this in the same way. At least they're dealing with a much shorter runtime. Games like Resident Evil, I think, try to deal with this by changing location. Okay. Um, at least a lot of them do where they're, you know, they're segmented into pretty different locations. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them kind of just give up by the end and stick you in a lab, which is completely <laughs> unscary. Always going to be the least scary part of any of those games. <laughs> uh, but I think this also explains why so many games rely on jump scares, because mm. that's the one thing to kind of jolt you back. Just resets the tension, just like a little. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's really hard if you're not trying to rely on jump scares to have a sustained tension or a tension that escalates throughout when you're making, you know, uh, an eight to 12 hour or more game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are, there are some delights in the last third of Mm -hmm. this game. Um, I think I talked about nowhere being, Mm -hmm. I think really special. Um, You're, you do a bit of the last segment in the amusement park that Silent Hill has. Yeah. It's very spooky. You don't have a map. It's, it's quite hard to navigate and like genuinely, Mm -hmm. You you get a little a little booster there again, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I I think I think it's safe to say 
you get a little a little used to being in Silent Hill. <laughs> Maybe that's the scariest thing of all. <laughs> when Silent Hill becomes normalized, what does that say about you? Oh, it's a- Are we in Silent Hill now in 2020? All right. <laughs> um you know what I have come around to in the last little bit as I think about this? What? I am genuinely sad that Kojima will not get to make oh. a Silent Hill game. Whoa. I I I like can feel how that would work now. And I think like some of his excesses, I think actually would meld kind of well with some of the the heightened stuff that is in at least this installment in the series. Um, and, you know, he has a really good command of a set piece and of um, particular visuals. Um, I, I can see how that would have been something really special. I feel this is a moment of personal growth. <laughs> I mean, I don't think it's growth. I think it's just I I understand his strengths, I think, now. And they would have been well applied here. And I mean, I did play PT. That right. was terrifying. And, and terrifying because it was so short. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it gets to just do all the... It just throws so much give at you. Give you all its strength. Also, man, do I wish that Guillermo specifically got to work on this franchise. That would have been... So good. It, w- it would have been a really great collaboration. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I understand now why people were so excited about that and so upset when it didn't come to be. There continue to be hints that Silent Hill will be remade, reborn from the Something. ashes, and maybe even that Kojima's involved. But I think these are these are just rumors and I, I don't see them yeah. coming to fruition. But stranger things have happened. Yeah. But does this mean that you have interest in more Silent Hill. I play more Silent Hill, yeah. Especially, you know, I would maybe like to not be the only person who has hands on the mm. control. You know, like if we could do sure. a together collaborative okay. kind of thing, swap back and forth, play together, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think potentially that would be great. And also, as I said in the setup episode for this, I know that Silent Hill 2 is really the one that people are like, this is one of the great horror games. Um, but even more so than than one. And so I definitely am into it enough to give two a try for sure. Sounds good. Yeah. Maybe we can get to that uh, once we get some courage back. Yeah. <laughs> so what's your overall fun factor score? My fun factor score is um, a three. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. This, I don't know what to do with this one. It's a three. Okay. Yeah. So now that we've done these game pro scores, I guess we don't need to do your score. You're wrong. Oh. Yeah. Okay. But first, okay, well, let's check in on predictions. Okay. And then, so you have prepared a score. <laughs> I have prepared a score. Okay. Um, we'll check quickly on your predictions. We've we've addressed some of them along the way. Mm-hmm. I asked you what you thought the secret of Silent Hill was. You government said, experiments. Incorrect. It's not government experiments. Cult trying to impregnate a child with a demon. Who split her soul in half and did a bunch of stuff. Would not have guessed. Uh, asked you if you'd use a rocket launcher. You said no. That was correct. Mm-hmm. I asked you what you thought Silent Hill would sound like. You said silent. I was the wrongest I have ever been. <laughs> <laughs> As you describe a boss, you describe some kind of mutilated doctor. Yeah, which I was close with some of the nurses, but I, I don't think that's not specifically what I said. So no, I, I think that's wrong. I asked you how many times you, Michelle, not you, Harry, would jump. <laughs> You said 13. You only jumped four times. Yeah. Not a lot of jump scares. And again, I think playing it in the afternoon worked to your advantage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess disadvantage because you got this wrong ultimately. (laughs) You're way under. Then I asked you if Pyramid Head would kill you. You not only got that correct, but you interpreted the goal of the question, which was asking you if Pyramid Head was going to be in this game. He is not. You did notice that there is like a pyramid on the symbol, though. I did. 
And then you, you Is that I, foreshadowing. I think That's you, like, Ooh. you thought maybe there was pyramid, but there was no, there was no pyramid head. Yeah, no Devo in this game. Yeah. And now I guess we turn it over to you for your score. Yep. Okay, for an almost unbearably intense audio work, plus twenty. For its inspired map, plus fifteen. For one of the best opening cutscenes in all of games, plus sixteen. For making me start to think that tank controls actually make sense, plus 12. For introducing me to gynomancy, plus 10. I think it was gyromancy. Uh, you know, I think both are in this game. <laughs> <laughs> you really think about it. Uh, for expecting me to care about an abstract child, minus 20. For the slam dunk dog's head you can find in the very first area, plus 15. <laughs> For the pterodactyls, minus five. For pterodactyl lore, plus 10. For many of the most unsettling spaces I've ever traversed, plus eight. For the goofy-ass boss fights, minus 13. For your classic demonic plot perpetuated on a powerful young girl, minus 739. For a total of negative 666, the number of the beast. Whoa. It just worked out that way. Yeah. It's crazy. I just, it's, it was like a Ouija board. It just, the numbers just fell like that. <laughs> All right. Thank you for listening to this very stupid episode. Uh, if you've enjoyed this, as always, it helps us so much if you rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, or if you tell a friend about us. Uh, you can find more information and show notes at neverwasagamer.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at neverwasagamer. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening. We're getting to the end of this first season. We're getting so close to Michelle's FromSoft game. Oh, yeah. But she has one more obstacle in her path. And so we'll see you next time when we'll find out, maybe, finally, will <laughs> Michelle learn the difference between a Ganon and a Ganondorf? Because that piece of trivia is an essential part of becoming a gamer. <laughs>